He was a police officer and eventually became a college professor and author. He's here to talk about the daily grind, how the stress, adrenaline, and trauma affected him, his marriage, relationships, and shaped his future. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Another reason to like and follow us on Facebook, the mobile Facebook app. You can listen to the podcast there for free. So if you ever miss an episode of Law Enforcement Today Show, it's always on the mobile Facebook app. You know the one on your phone, which is free. It's easy to access the podcast and great articles, much more. By the way, feel free to send me a message. Say hello. If I can help you, let me know. That's on our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. Calling us from Texas, we have Will Moravitz on the phone. Will is a former police officer turned college professor, a professor of political science for St. Phillips College in Texas State University. He was a police officer at the city of San Marcos, Texas, and also is an author of the book, The Blue Divide, Policing and Race in America. Will, thanks so much for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Today show. Very much appreciated. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor. And by the way, thank you for your service. That's appreciated as well. I appreciate that. Thank you, too. You did three years in San Marcos, Texas. First of all, please excuse my ignorance. Where about is San Marcos, Texas? Where is it located? San Marcos is between San Antonio and Austin. Gotcha. And your three years, is it safe to say that police work wasn't what you expected or was it more intense than you expected? Um, it, it was different than what I expected. I wouldn't say it was uh, not what I expected. You know, I, I think the, uh, the thing that was difficult for me was uh, balancing family life with law enforcement. So the job itself was more or less what I had thought it would be um, because I had friends in law enforcement and family uh, who had told me, but it was that, that aspect of managing a, a marriage with, you know, young children and, and the job because I was working night shift. Uh, that was the part that, that uh, I wasn't expecting. I hated midnight shift shift work well and when i started in police work i was single so and i was young as i went to the academy at 21 and turned i think 22 in the academy so i was a very young man when i hit the streets uh-huh. you know and i'm a different generation than you will I, I i was influenced heavily by joseph wamba his books the television series i thought i knew what i was expecting when i came into police work i thought i had a really good idea of what was heading my way when i went to baltimore after a couple years it was far more intense, far more violent, far more traumatic, and, and a heck of a lot more adrenaline rushes than I ever imagined. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, my generation, we grew up watching cops, you know, on, on uh, TV, and, uh, you know, that's pretty realistic stuff now to have live PD and other things. Um, 
San Marcos is kind of one of those cities. It's it's a fairly large city. It's not like you know metro. You know, it's not like San Antonio or Austin, but it's fairly large city, and you you do have violent crime. You do have a lot of drugs, especially with the college group there. Um, but you know, it's not not as often as you would see like in a major metropolitan area. Um, so it was a little different for me. You know, most of the, the kind of stuff that got to me was when people you're dealing with just treated you a certain way just because of the uniform you had on. Um, that was something that, you know, I, I had grown up in a small town where everybody knew me and everybody liked me or almost everybody liked me and, you know, people trusted me. And, and then I show up in that uniform and it's like, they look at you like you're a pig, you know, like you're a scum, not everybody, of course, but a lot of people do. Um, and that, that, and then seeing that negative, uh, negativity day in and day out, um, going to calls where, you know, you see a, uh, you know, first time I, I kind of teared up on the job. I walked in, it's like two in the morning, it was pouring out rain. We're in this mobile home. I walk in cause there was a domestic violence call and I was the backing officer. So the, the lead officer had already arrived and uh, said the assailants were gone. Um, but I walk in and there's a, maybe about an 18 month old baby and diapers playing in his daddy's blood you know, just kind of patting the blood, like, what's this, you know, kind of thing. And I just, you know, th- th- those are the kind of things that, that got to me, um, you know, the negativity and then seeing kids hurt, seeing, you know, people who, who have kids committing violent crime because it's like, you know, you have priorities at home. In my mind, it was like, you have priorities at home. You shouldn't be living your life this way. You know, things of that nature. Yeah. I, I'll be honest with you. The kid stuff was really tough for, for me to handle back then. And I still, and I know it's an overused term. I, I, I'm still haunted a bit by some of those things and crimes against children really got to me. Violent crimes against children, especially by parents and so-called loved ones really got to me. But seeing children in very traumatic situations where their parents, for lack of better words, were victims of violent crime really got to me. And you know, one of the things, well, seeing that kind of trauma is one thing. Seeing and experiencing all the time the degradation and the the lack of hope and all these things that people live with in elements of society really wore down on me after many years. Got to the point where I was, it shaped me in a way where I became very cynical and very negative. Yeah. And I think that was starting to, to happen to me. They you'd warned, warned me about that in the Academy, uh, you know, and, and they talked about things like having friends that are outside of law enforcement or, you know, just having a life away from the job as much as you can. And, 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 you know, you're right with the kids. Some of I had a really good department that was, uh, very, heavily focused on training and preparation. Um, There was no expense too great for them to get good training for you. And a lot of the older guys, you know, would say this to me, it's like, you'll, you'll see stuff on the job. Eventually you'll, you can get numb to some of it, but you'll never get numb to seeing kids get hurt. Especially because I was already a parent. My, my first child was actually born um, right after I got off at FTO. Um, you know, and so th- those are the things that, that it, it did start to get jaded. And I think that affected my marriage as well, because you're, you're, what I tell people is you're, you're never called for anything positive. 
you know, you're, you're always called, even if it's just a little minor verbal disturbance all the way up to a murder or things of that nature, you're, you're there. You have, you know, I've held hands, uh, with, with people who lost a family member and I had to be the one telling them I've, I've sat next to a grieving uh, woman after she was raped and try to console her while also taking the report. You know, and you see that day in and day out. Uh, and it does make you cynical. It does make you, you know, jaded to a certain extent. Um, and, and unfortunately that spills out into our, the rest of our, our personal life as well. And unfortunately who catches it a lot of time is the people we want to protect. And I can't speak for you, but I didn't want to talk to my wife at the time about the things we saw, the things we did. Number one, she worried enough already. She was an emergency mm-hmm. room nurse in Baltimore. She knew the trauma. She knew a lot of police. She knew what was happening. I didn't want her to ever think, especially when she was pregnant with her first child, hey, things were really bad, and there was I came close to, to losing it tonight. I came close to either losing my stuff myself or being killed myself. I never wanted her yeah. to be concerned. And unfortunately, what happened for me, and we'll talk about this when we return, is I wound up isolating from those who I love the most and whose company and attention I needed the most and wound up pushing them away. I didn't mean to do it, but that's what I did. That's a reality, and that's a byproduct of, at least for me, this job. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. We're talking with Wilmer Ravitz. We're going to take a short break. I promise you, you don't want to miss what's heading away. We're we'll back in just a few moments. Want to win great prizes in awesome contests? Who wouldn't want that? It's easy. Just sign up and subscribe for the Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. We won't spam you. No more than two emails a week. I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. The Officer Down Memorial Podcast tells the real stories of the men and women we've lost in the line of duty. It is one of the darkest days in Itasca County's history. From the officers who were there. He's probably maybe one of the best investigators and a natural born one. And family and friends who were left behind. We try to get distance from people's tragedies, but the death of Beefy, it just shot home to all of us how permanent murder is. You can subscribe to the Officer Don Memorial Podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. This is a Law Enforcement Today show. Returning our conversation with Will Moravitz. Will was a police officer in San Marcos, Texas for about three years. And he left. He is now a professor of political science for St. Philip's College and Texas State University. And this is all in Texas, and he's also author of the book, The Blue Divide, Policing and Race in America. Before we end the break, a couple of things you, you said, Will, that really resonated with me. Uh, number one is people before are out of uniform, they viewed me a certain way. They viewed me as an individual, as a person, my good points, my bad points, and took the whole thing. However, once I put the uniform, it's no longer Jay Wiley, the person, John Jay Wiley, the individual. Right. It was, you're a cop. And right. people treated it different. And here was the thing that people told me in the early days, the old time cops, two things. Don't try to make sense out of stuff that makes no sense at all. It'll drive you insane. And the other ones don't take it personal. It's awfully right. hard not to take things personally when it's directed at you. And especially when it's physical violence and or threat of death directed at you. It's very difficult not to take it personal. 
Yeah, you know, and and for me, you know, I was a right out of college, I was actually a youth minister in a town close to San Marcos, and then nine eleven happened, and that was kind of my like call that you know I want to do something different, like give back to the community, and policing was something that you know interested me, and of course the heroism of the firefighters and the the Port Authority police and NYPD on that day, you know, just kind of like I've always wanted to help people. And so I was like, yeah, that's a great way, you know, to give back. And so I go in there with you know, a little bit of rose-colored glasses in a sense because I'm, I'm thinking I'm here to help people. I want to protect people, you know, and, and then you show up and it's like they either don't want your help or they're they're fighting with you. They're threatening you, you know, they're threatening your family. And that, that threw me for a loop early, um, you know, like in field training. I remember um, – my first field trainer was a wonderful officer uh, named Rudy Mesa. Uh, he unfortunately uh, lost his life in Iraq um, a couple years after he was my trainer. Um, but he, I remember the very first arrest we made together, uh, somebody, you know, the guy with the perp was like, you know, I'm going to come after your family. I'm going to kill him and all this kind of stuff. And he just kind of shrugged it off and I asked him later, I was like, what do you, how do, how do you deal with that? And he's like, yeah, you He's just like, you know, I have a wife, I have kids, they know how to handle themselves. If somebody approaches them in town, you know, and says, Hey, your your dad or your grandpa, whatever arrested me. Um, but he said, you, you can't really let it get to you. Cause just, you'd be worried all the time looking over your shoulder and it, it just, it's not a good way to live. And he said, in reality, it's a lot of these people, at least in San Marcos, were just talking, you know, they were just talking. Just talking. Ass, that's basically. just, yeah, it's coming out of their mouth. There's no, nothing behind it. And well, that's one of the things that, I hate to say this. I'll admit it on the radio. It got to the point where I would say, you know, tough talk doesn't make a tough man. And I'm not, right. I'm, I'm not talking about John Wayne Macho stuff. I, look, if you want to threaten me, you better be real. Otherwise, stop talking. Right. And it's difficult yeah, when well, they threaten your family. I, I, I'll, I'll, re, I'll recall this. I was married. My wife was had one baby already. She was pregnant with our second child, and uh, we lived out in the country, outside of Baltimore, and almost near Pennsylvania line, and it was the uh, dead end, and we had a long, about a quarter mile dirt driveway, and she called me one day because a vehicle showed up in front of the house, There's, and it's like a farmette. There's no reason to be there, and a lot of stuff was happening. There's death threats against me and everything else. She was freaking out. She knew how to handle herself. She knew all that stuff. She had been trained in weapons. She had... Many years working as an emergency room nurse, she saw the trauma, but it still messed with her head. And I'll tell you what, it really got to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it when you, you have somebody you love, like your spouse or your kids, and, and you feel like, you know, they're being threatened and you may not be there to protect them. That's that's a hard, that's a really scary thing. Um, to have to deal with. And I was a little bit fortunate because I, I lived in San Antonio for... I guess the first first year or so, and then we moved to New Braunfels, which is just outside of San Antonio before you get to San Marcos. So I didn't go about my day-to-day business in the city of San Marcos. So like I wasn't at, you know, the, the local grocery store, you know, you go in there and, and people recognize you and they're like, hey, you know, you did this or whatever. I didn't have to worry about that so much because I didn't live in the community. I lived outside of it. Um, but it is scary to think to think that. And for me, a lot of the things that would happen like on a slow night, it'd be like, you know, three, four in the morning. And I'd start thinking about what's going to happen to my wife and kids if, if something happens to me on the job. 
are they going to be okay? And so, you know, some of those thoughts would creep in. You just kind of have to shrug them off, um, you know, and get back focus because you can't, you know, being distracted on the job is a very dangerous thing. Um, but what really, you know, the, the me being jaded and then, uh, with, with my, my spouse, she wasn't really afraid of her safety. You know, she wasn't fearful for her safety, but what got to her, uh, we're, we're now since divorce. That's really the reason ultimately why I left law enforcement. She, when when we had our first child, um, it was very difficult for her to be up at night with a crying kid at two in the morning. And then she calls me for kind of comfort. And then I'm like, I can't talk. I got to go. You know, there's something going on. And she, she kind of felt like I wasn't there for her. Um, and it, she went basically from being supportive of the job because we were married, um, before I became an officer, she was very supportive of it to once we had kids, it, it started to be like the job is in the way of, of, of things. And she became less and less supportive. She would give me when I would, I'd get called, Hey, we need a, you know, there's somebody out today. Can you come up work an extra shift or something? And I'd go and she just give me all sorts of for it. And like I was, I was abandoning her some way. And so, you know, that, that really took a toll on me um, as well because, you know, you, you fight at home and then you go into work and it's like, you got to shut that off, you know, and it's not that easy to do sometimes. The other aspect of this too, and I, I got to ask you, when you work night shift, look, people can joke all you want. They can mock it. Part of me feels like I have an obligation to make sure my family's okay. When you're leaving to go to work at 10 o'clock, 1030 at night, and you'd be gone all night long and bad things could potentially happen you feel an obligation to make sure you're there to take care of your family, protect them. Were you ever troubled by that, that you weren't there? Yeah. I mean, you know, because the, I'm sure if something, you know, drastic happened that, you know, my, my sergeant would just be like, all right, just, just go. Um, so they're real supportive of, of that kind of thing. But there, there was that fear, you know, especially since I was living out of town, um, you know, my commute back to home, such something happened, it was going to be a lot longer than if I'd lived, you know, within the, the city of San Marcos, especially when I was in San Antonio, because and, and with no traffic, that was a 45 minute drive uh, with traffic, you know, on the way home in the morning, I would, you know, take an hour and a half sometimes uh, because of morning rush hour. We're talking yeah, about you know, Will Moravitz on the Law Enforcement Show. Will was a former police officer in San Marcos, Texas. He left law enforcement. We're going to talk more about the reason why. He's now a professor of political science at St. Phillips College and Texas State University. He's also author of the book, The Blue Divide, Policing and Race in America. So much more to talk about. Heading your way in the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. This 
Citizen Law Enforcement Show. Return our conversation with Will Moravitz. Will is a former police officer. He was a police officer in San Marcos, Texas. He is now a college professor, professor of political science for St. Phillips College and Texas State University. He's also the author of the book, The Blue Divide, Policing and Race in America. I promise you, Will, no, no wise cracks or jokes for me about college professors, especially political <laughs> science. I, I'm not getting it. That one is a, a lot of what people take that for is the next step in the law. Am I correct? Yeah, the, that that's definitely true. There's, um, you know, a lot of people that do the, the political science route and go into, uh, to become a lawyer or they go into politics, work for the state department, things like that. Yeah, for sure. There was a time when it would seem like an anomaly where a former cop becomes a professor or a former cop becomes a lawyer or retired or whatever the situation might be. It's not that unusual. What may seem unusual is that you're a professor of political science. But before we get into why you do what you do, I want to go back to you being a police officer. You're married. You've got a young child born right after you leave FTO. And the wear and tear of police work and not being available, working shift work, working overnights began to take its toll on your relationship at home. Yeah. So, you know, it it didn't happen all at once. You know, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to take um, some paternity leave time uh, with the first child for, uh, you know, a few, I think, I think it was like three weeks uh, to help out, you know, and again, things in the early parts were were not that difficult it, it built up over time uh to the point where and, and you know my my ex-wife had a she still has the business but she she was a dental lab technician had her own her own shop uh and it kept it was growing and so her time started to be uh you know more valuable because it was limited and the reality is you know she in her mind i think she she looked at it as well my job makes more money than yours so it's more important and and so you should be able you, you should don't go into to do overtime or to take an extra shift because you need to be here you know with this and and you know it's not the same thing i mean obviously you know policing isn't isn't uh, just a regular job you know for for most people that i met uh, probably 120 or so officers i met um, in my brief career the vast majority did it as a calling, you know, they wanted to help people. They wanted to make a difference. And so the pay is really kind of, you know, it's great if you get good pay and and my department did pay well um, for its size, Uh, you know, but it's, it's not just a job. You can just be like, Hey, I'm going to call in sick today because, you know, you know, you, it's, it's a calling and you really are never truly off duty. You know, like when I go home after a day in the classroom, it's all out of my mind. You know, I don't worry about what's going to happen or whatever, but you, you can't do that as a cop. And I think that also, um, got to her a little bit. And eventually, you know, she was in the mindset where the business was growing so much and I was having to help her with the finance part of the business. And, and she's like, you know, you need to leave the force, um, to, 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 you know, to, to spend more time with the business and the family and everything better for our finances and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it had been, it had been a struggle uh, up to that point. You know, there were some times on the job where 
what was happening at home affected my performance. Um, and I talked to my sergeant and one of my commanders uh, about that and uh, like in a meeting because people kind of had noticed that there was a little bit of a of a change um, from what I, you know, early uh my performance. And then, you know, I, I did pick it back up that last six, seven months and I was an officer. I kind of went back to being a high performing uh, police officer and, and, and people started noticing that as well. But at home, it was still very tough. It was very emotional and stressful. Um, you know, and you're right. You mentioned earlier, you know, talking to your spouse about what you see on the job. It's not not something that a lot of people do, you know, especially if they're not law enforcement themselves. You have some couples that are in law enforcement together, then you can do that a lot easier. Um, but at the end of the day, I guess, you know, I was raised uh, by a single mom for first eight or nine years of my life. And then she married my stepdad. My biological father was not in the picture at all until my 20s, really, um, when my son was born. And so I was I was a little fearful that if I put my foot down and said no I want to stay a cop, you know that that it would lead to divorce, you know. And so it, part of my reasoning, and I, I didn't express it to her at the time, uh, but part of my reasoning for quitting was just to try to save the marriage because I was I was afraid I didn't want to be divorced. I didn't want my kids to grow up with me not there every day. Um, and unfortunately. Uh, all it did was prolong the inevitable, I guess, uh, because about a year and a half later, um, she filed for divorce. And, you know, I, I thought about it. I remember talking to uh, my uncle and, and some people, and I was telling them stories about the job, you know, some of the funny stuff that you see. And they're like, you know, you seem so animated when you talk about it. Have you thought about going back? And I was like, yeah, I have. But I had a, you know, a, a two and a half year old and a one year, you know, a basically a, like a one-year-old. Um, and I, I just remembering what, what it was like for me to not have my dad wondering where he was, when's he going to come visit and that kind of stuff. I didn't want them to go through that same thing. And so I kind of thought understandable. Myself, you know, I, I, look, yeah. I don't, I don't question your motives for leaving. And here's something I'm just going to say is for me, there, there's an incredible amount of responsibility as a police officer, like you said, we're on duty 24-7, and that's a rough right. thing for a lot of people to deal with. The other thing is, look, you get called in, hey, we're short, can you come in? There's a, a tremendous amount of guilt and responsibility feeling towards your brothers and sisters that I can't let them down. Right. i got to pull my weight. Right. And, and to be honest with you, I wanted to be the one that's like, hey, when there's real bad stuff happening, you need it. You need Jay Wiley. You need him on. When it, right. stuff hits a fan, you want this guy coming in. I wanted to be that guy so bad that I put a lot of unnecessary pressure on myself, my family as a result. So I get you really stuck where you, you like, look, I, I don't know what I want to do here. And it, I don't envy your position. Yeah. Well, either way, it was a lose, lose, it was a lose, lose situation. You know, if I, if I went to shift work, uh, you know, on an extra shift or if I stayed late, you know, sometimes I'd get off at 7 a.m. and they'd be like, Hey, someone in the morning shift, you know, have to take the day off. Can you stay till noon? And we'll try to find somebody on the afternoon shift and the swing shift to come in early, you know, and so you end up working, you know, 15, 18 hour shift, but you feel guilty because you're like, I've, I should be home, whatever it's my time with my family. And then on the other hand, 
you're like, but my brothers and sisters in blue need me. It's my responsibility. So either choice you make, whether you take the extra shift or you stay home, there's a sense of guilt and a sense of like you're letting someone down. Um, You know, and and that was that was tough for me to, you know, because I I. I'm the sense that, you know, kind of like what you're saying where I, you know, Jay Wiley needs to be there. I always wanted to, to, to kind of play the hero. I guess it's kind yeah. of, it yeah, sounds comical and it sounds life. stupid to say that at this point of our lives. But the truth is I wanted to be that guy. I wanted to be Superman yeah. to the rescue. Exactly. You know, I mean, I grew up, you know, reading superhero comic books. And so I've always kind of, you know, my, my mobile laptop and my, patrol car i had you know at the top of it with great power comes great responsibility which is a a spider-man quote from his uncle before he dies and but to me that was a big part of how i perform my job is that i have great power but there's great responsibility and that's a a great way of putting it you know it's almost embarrassing to say it came from spider-man because that's a great quote this is the law enforcement today show we are talking about will moravitz former police officer, college professor, and also author of the book, The Blue Divide, Policing and Race in America. When we return after a few moments, we're going to talk about leaving police work, becoming a college professor, and what motivated him to do what he does today. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Missed an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore, because now you can listen to it on Podopolo. The free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. It's a law enforcement today show return our conversation with Will Moravitz. Will is in Texas. He was a police officer at San Marcos, Texas Police Department. He left because of how it was affecting his marriage. We'll talk about that again in a few moments. Became a professor, a college professor of political science for St. Philip's College and Texas State University. He's also author of the book, The Blue Divide, Policing and Race in America. And I got to say this. He holds a Master of Arts in Political Science from Texas State University and, there's more, a PhD in Public Policy and Administration from Walden University. I got to tell you, I'm impressed. Well, that's a lot. <laughs> well, you know, I, I appreciate that. And it, it's funny, you know, earlier you mentioned that it's not so uncommon for for police officers to retire and go into to law or some other things. Um you know, and I found out my old police chief uh, retired in 2014, and he went and got his PhD, and now he's a professor of criminal justice at Texas State. And we got to to meet for lunch for a couple hours, and um, you know, talk about the old days. And and you know, I I, I apologized to him, um, you know, because I said, hey, I my career did not work out the way that I wanted it to, and you know, I. I never intended it to be such a short stint. And I kind of felt all these years later, I was like, I kind of felt guilty still. And he, he was like, look, you know, plans are what happens when life life is what happens when you're making plans. And he's like, don't, don't feel guilty about it. You did your service. You did a good job. That's right. You serve with honor and integrity. That's what I I know of people that were killed in field training. I know police officers yeah. that were severely injured and have lifelong disabilities within their first year on the street. 
And I know some that they decided it just wasn't for them. They weren't cut out for them. And there was a time in my life, Will, where I was very critical of those people. Those days are long gone. I realized the error of my ways. People serve for as long as they can and do the best job they can. The main thing we always had a philosophy was we don't care if you're white, black, gay, lesbian, doesn't matter what your religious preference just do your job and if i need help right. come and help me if i'm in a brawl and the most thing you can do is grab a hand grab a hand that's all we ask you to do and we got yeah. along great we were a big huge family but some people left exactly. because they just couldn't they couldn't do it anymore for whatever reason and a lot of them became lawyers they became they went back to school but fascinates me is how does someone go from police work in your case from police work to i'm gonna become a college professor that's not like a, a sudden jump that most people would imagine no it wasn't and and you know when i before i was an officer i, I did go to college right out of high school so i already had the bachelor's degree and when i was deciding after the divorce what i wanted to do i you know i i thought to myself well Many people in my family are teachers. They're you know, now retired, both of my parents, uh, my sister, cousins, the professor of history. My uncle is a professor of history. You know, so it's just it's kind of in the blood. And and my mom had been telling me through most of my twenties, "Why don't you go into teaching? You'd be great at it." And I was like, "No, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I want to do something like law enforcement, or I want to do something more active and what have you." Um, so after the divorce, I was like what job can I take where I would always have time to, to go to my kids stuff and to be there for them? Well, school education because I had the same schedule. Um, so I started off, um, actually, uh, in a private school and, uh, worked for the schooling in the Catholic church for a few years. That's where I met my, my wife, uh, Rosie. Uh, then I went, once I finished my master's, I went back to public school at a, taught at a high school just outside of San Antonio. And then in 2017, when I got my PhD, I was like, well, I'm going to, you know, make the jump to, uh, to the college level. And so it was, it was, you know, a, a, about a 10 year process, uh, you know, to get where I am today, but that it all kind of started with, how how can I be, be the best father I can be since I have such a limited time with them? Um, you know, my oldest son is now 17. The other one's uh, going to be 16 this summer. And so, you know, I wanted to make sure that they grew up with a present father. Mm, that's admirable. It's really admirable that you did that. And it takes an incredible amount of motivation to go back to school. I'll be honest with you. Well, I went to Old Dominion University in North Virginia, and I majored in drinking, and I had a minor in sociology. <laughs> I got a 4.0 in my major and DNF in my minor. I was out within about a year. So the thought of going back to school, and and the funny thing is, I was always a lousy student through high school and everything else. When I got to the police academy, I applied myself, worked really hard. I was second in my class. Uh, so awesome. it, it kind of surprised me. It made made promotion relatively quickly and in a very competitive environment. But I want to get to right. uh, an, another point. Hollywood portrays police as being knuckle-dragging, idiots, Neanderthals, not deep thinkers. And what you do is the exact opposite. And And I want to go back, and, and I'm not saying this is an anti-you. It's not uncommon. A lot of the men and women we serve with are really, really well-educated and right. are devoted to what they do. And they're very deep thinkers. Yeah, and you know, I, I experienced that being you know, Texas State University is now the fourth largest university in Texas, uh, and, and I remember encountering 
people. There's this one kid, I'll never forget it. I'm not going to say his name, you know, <laughs> but I'll never forget him. And, and he said he was, you know, trying to break up a party and, you know, but he wasn't being cooperative. At one point he says, look, being a cop is what happens and all you can do is high school or something to that effect. And little, little did he know that I had gone to Texas A&M. The guy I was working with was uh, the sergeant, had a, a master's degree in criminal justice, you know, and, and things like that. But that perception, yeah, that they're, they're knuckle draggers uh, is definitely still prevalent, especially among you know, the professional class, um, you know, and I would just tell them, you know, I've got three degrees. Um, police work is a ton of information to have to know traffic code, penal code, code of criminal procedures, oh, yeah. tactics, your policy manual, you know, and then you have to factor in the totality of the circumstances. So it's, it's a very mentally demanding job, not just in dealing with the stress, but also dealing with, just the amount of responsibility you have and, and to apply that knowledge correctly, because, you know, when you have the power to take away someone's liberty or in some cases, someone's life, if a deadly force situation arises, that that's a great responsibility. There's and a lot of things that go that's, into that. That, that Spider-Man quote comes back again about uh, great responsibility. Yeah. So, and, and this is one thing I want the best of the best in police work. And I really want us as a community and it's a, a large country, but I want us to really take care of our people. We expect they do the best for our community and we want to take care of them as well. Cause when I have an emergency, I want the best law enforcement officers showing up. I don't want someone right. having a bad day. And I just certainly don't want the B team showing up. So you are a professor and you've also written this book, the Blue Divide, Policing and Race in America. Now, in the college environment, I would think, I would speculate that people love to throw out their opinions about policing and race. Uh, in my situation, look, race of people involved is always a fact. It's rarely a factor of what goes on. Uh, what motivated you to write this book? Well, you know, obviously, I was interested in policing, you know, throughout my, my master's and my PhD. And I guess it all really started in 2014, um, uh, mainly for me anyways, uh, the death of Michael Brown um, in Ferguson, Missouri. You know, Black Lives Matter became very prominent after that, that particular uh, police shooting. And I was... I followed the case pretty closely, and of course, we all know the hands up, don't shoot, you know, stuff that they got put out there, and the celebrities and athletes were all, you know, doing the hands up, don't shoot thing. And then it turned out it was complete lies. Right. And, you know, you go through, I, I started kind of keeping track of these high profile deaths uh, uh, from a police of black people from police. And, uh, you know, in every single one of them, I was like, the the way people are reporting on it, the way people are viewing it is not correct. And finally, then after you know, George Floyd died, um, in the rhetoric about defunding the police or, you know, some of our representatives, like uh, Representative Cori Bush said, we need to abolish the police. And you know, they're going that far. I said, you know, enough is enough. You know, these people have no idea what they're talking about. And I felt like I had a good a unique perspective being that I'd, I'd been a cop even only for three years, but as a college professor who I had, I had authored peer reviewed articles uh, prior to this, that I could bring that academic arm to it and what it's like to actually be on the street. And I think it. you and so do have a unique perspective. Where can people get the book and get in touch with you? 
Probably the easiest way uh, to get the book is on Amazon, um, but it's also available Barnes and Noble, Walmart, Target, you know, those kind of uh, all the major retailers. Um, and then to get a hold of me, uh, follow me on Twitter. Uh, that's probably the, the easiest way. It's uh, at W Moravitz two three. That's at W Moravitz two three. Uh, or you can email me at willmoravitz at gmail dot com. Um, those are the two two quickest ways to to engage me if you have questions or. Well, I thank you, know, you for your service. It. I thank you for what you're doing, and really thank you for being a guest on Law Enforcement Show. Very much appreciated. Oh, I appreciate it. It's, it's been a lot of fun. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.